Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family Radio. Thank you for joining us today as we launch into our new series entitled Family Bible Studies in the Gospel of St. Luke. And today's goal is just to provide an introduction to the third gospel. But first, I'd like to start with the reason I'm doing this. I came across a quotation from Pope Benedict XVI, and it really prompted me to do something that I love to do, and that's teach the Bible. But here's what he said. The disciples who meet Jesus on the road to Emmaus, that's Luke chapter 24, by the way, the disciples who meet Jesus on the road to Emmaus represents, in some sense, the model of a catechesis centered on the explanation of the Scriptures. That is exactly what I hope to do in this series. And it's very interesting because Pope Benedict, when he was Cardinal Ratzinger, was the man in the entire Catholic Church responsible for writing the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And of course, the Catechism is for catechesis, and we're going to be referring to the Catechism to help understand the gospel. But especially, he said, the simple step of explaining the Scriptures is the model of catechesis following exactly what Jesus did to those two lucky disciples who are on the road to Emmaus. Now, this is a family Bible study, and so I'm welcoming mom and dad, grandparents, aunts and uncles, but especially young people, college students, teenagers, and if you have children, and I'm just kind of guessing here, But if your kids can do multiplication, they can do serious Bible study. And certainly if they can do long division, which I don't know if I can still do, but in any case, if you can do long division, you can do Bible study. And if there's enough families who are interested in doing a type of family scripture spiritual formation using this Gospel of Luke study, I'll prepare some quizzes for parents to use. I need a good couple of handfuls of parents who want to do this. And homeschoolers, this could be a course. I'll make up some simple quizzes based on reading the Gospel of Luke or listening to it several times and a couple of the key points we make in this series. But before we begin, let's pray, which is a great thing to do when you're studying the Bible. Heavenly Father, we join together in the name of your Son, Jesus, asking you to send the Holy Spirit to open our eyes that we might see great things in your word. Amen. Luke is the longest of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Luke is the longest of the four Gospels. And in case you get into a trivia game, it is also the longest book in the New Testament. And Luke wrote both the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts. And those two together, Luke and Acts, make up 28% of the entire New Testament. And those two books, Luke and Acts, contain more words 
than were written by any other New Testament author. So he is the prolific author of the New Testament. I'd like to take you a little bit behind the scenes because when you read any book and when you study any book of the Bible, you want to know a little bit about the author, what the author's character is like, what might be motivating the author, and when it comes to studying the Bible, we want to do the same thing. So who is Luke? The first place I'll take you is a short section out of St. Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 4 and verse 14, and this is simply what it says. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Luke and Demas were companions of St. Paul, but he calls Luke the beloved physician. So here you have a doctor writing the longest gospel of the four gospels, and with Luke and Acts writing more than any other writer of the New Testament. So Luke's a doctor, and one of the things we learn by reading the book of Acts is something that, what should I say, kind of a sudden switch in the book of Acts. Because you'll read the book of Acts, and it'll talk about Paul did this, and Paul did that. Paul did this, and Paul did that. And then you come to chapter 16 of the book of Acts, and things switch. It's what we call the we passages. It's no longer he, but we. I'll take you to where it starts, Acts 16 and verse 11. Setting sail, therefore, from Troas, we made a direct voyage. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside to the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women. Though that's the beginning of the we passages. St. Paul, in the book of Acts, makes three great trips, missionary journeys, and on the second and the third missionary journeys, St. Paul was his companion. It's part of the we passages. So here you have a doctor, companion, of St. Paul. And just one of the things, we're going to have application in each of these studies and maybe a lot of application towards the end of the study at the end of the episode. But right here, um, are you a physician? Or are you a nurse? Or are you a construction worker? No one is to be regarded as somebody who God can't use in an incredibly important way. And he's using this doctor. But here is something that I think is really important. In fact, it makes me really want to get to know St. Luke in heaven. And it's this. What was St. Luke like when things got hot? You know, you never really know how a person is going to react in tough situations till situations get tough. And there is a, a situation that we read about in the New Testament about St. Paul. St. Paul, you may not realize, but wrote a huge chunk of his epistles from jail. These are jailhouse letters you're reading in, in the New Testament. And a lot of people, you know, they might hear this or that 
just read over and, you know, I am in chains and thinking, yeah, what kind of chain? A necklace chain? No, he's in prison, chained up. And here's what St. Paul says as he sits in jail, writing from Rome, and he's in chains. He's chained up in a jail. And at this point, St. Paul was facing a probable death sentence. He didn't know if he would be alive in a few weeks or months. Here's what happens. We read about this in Paul's letter to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. It's kind of sad. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me. People split from St. Paul when things got hot. And then he writes in chapter 4, again in 2 Timothy, at my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. And then he says to St. Timothy, do your best to come to me soon. You know, it's tough being thrown in jail for preaching the gospel. And the day may come even here in the West where this could occur again. Christianity began with those who openly proclaimed the good news of the gospel were tossed in jail, saying there's another king, Jesus. But how tough to be in jail, and not with color TVs and air conditioning, to be in chains, and then have all the people who you thought would stand with you to the end just took off, okay? And then we get to, I think, is one of the key verses of an insight into who this man is, St. Luke. And it's from 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10. It says, for Demas, remember in Colossians when it says Luke the physician and Demas send you greetings? Now read about Demas. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. He split. Verse 11, Luke alone is with me. Folks, if this was the military and you had one of the mightiest empires in the entire history of the world coming down on your neck, you're sitting in Caesar's personal jail. You're bound in chains, and there's people from your home nation wanting to see you get the death penalty, and all your fellow workers, all your fellow Christians, they all take off, and there's one man, just one, standing with St. Paul. Luke alone is with me. That's why I am looking forward to meeting this man. And again, if this was the military, St. Luke would be receiving the Medal of Honor. That's the kind of guy he was. So it's good to know who is the man writing the gospel before us. And now St. Luke opens with a preface, and it's kind of an introduction to his whole gospel, and it's the first four verses of chapter 1. 
and I'm going to read these, but I just want to let you know, in the original language, uh, the New Testament Greek, this is all a single sentence. So if you're good at diagramming, try these four verses and see what, where the main clause is. But in any case, here we go. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things which have been accomplished among us, just as they were delivered to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the truth concerning the things of which you have been informed. There's a lot packed in here. First of all, let's just deal with Theophilus. In Greek, it means God lover. And um, personally, I believe there was an actual guy named Theophilus who was the recipient, uh, uh, maybe the first recipient of this gospel. But, you know, there's probably a double meaning this is a good gospel for anyone who is a God lover, including you listening to this broadcast. But here's another thing. St. Luke was different from Matthew, Mark, and John in that Luke was not an observer. He was not present during the life of Jesus. And Matthew was there. Mark was there. John was there. Luke was not there. So you would say to me, well, why in the world should we read Luke? We want something historically accurate. Now, if you know anything about human behavior and you know anything about somebody who takes a subject seriously, but um, you, you know that um, they might have a certain handicap, well, what they are going to do is to compensate for their lack by offering something that may not be present in the other Gospels. And what happens, because Luke was not an eyewitness, he comes up with the best historical account of what is described in any of the Gospels. Luke is called the historian. He's written an orderly account. He has paid careful attention. He's gone above and beyond. That's why Luke is longer, because there's more details in here about things that happened during the course of Jesus's ministry that you find in Matthew, Mark, or John. I'm just going to give you some examples. Here's one. Ask yourself this. In Luke chapter 1 and verse 29, it's talking about Mary. Gabriel comes to her, and it says she was greatly troubled at the saying, and considered in her mind what sort of greeting this might be. How would St. Luke know what was going on in Mary's mind? This is very simple. What would you do if you were a newspaper or magazine reporter, and a good one? What do you do? You interview the key players in whatever thing you're trying to research. Luke, you know, not only says, you know, did Gabriel appear to you, but what was going on in your mind? 
you know, she considered them in her mind. <laughs> you, you bet your mind would turn too if Gabriel came and said to you some of the things he said to Mary or inconceivable, so to speak. And yet here we find something like this in the gospel. Here's another one in the next chapter of Luke, chapter 2 and verse 51. This is where Jesus stayed behind when the family went to Jerusalem. They thought he was lost. And it summarizes, it says, and he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. And then it says this, and his mother kept all these things in her heart. Show me anywhere in the New Testament where you find the secret reflections that were going on in Mary's heart. You know, when your son you think is lost and you find him in the temple talking to the equivalent of a whole bunch of PhD theologians, and then he says to you, why are you surprised? Wouldn't you know I'm in my father's house? You know, a mother is trying to process this, and here Luke records this for us. This is found nowhere else in the Bible. Here's another one. Luke was a Gentile and the only non-Jewish author in the New Testament. So you might say, well, you know, Jesus was Jewish. Jesus came to fulfill the Old Testament Jewish promises. All the prophets of the Bible are Jewish. Yes. And just like Luke not being an eyewitness, compensated by ending up being the best detail man. He knows things that went on in Mary's heart that you would never otherwise know. We wouldn't know these things. Well, the same thing happens with, Jew, with Luke being a Gentile and not a Jewish person. You know what his concern is? His concern is for those outside. He realizes that this great shift occurred with the coming of Jesus. It's now not just the Jewish people, but Jew and Gentile were to be included in the church, in God's people. And that's why you find the genealogy, which we'll study in Luke chapter 3, is different than the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. In Matthew, the genealogy focuses on Abraham, and David particularly. Those are the two key players in the Jewish story. But in Luke, we find that the genealogy doesn't go back to Abraham, the founder of the Jews. It goes all the way back to Adam. Why? Because Adam was the father, not just of the Jews, but of all mankind. And that's what Luke is trying to show, is that for the entire Roman Empire and today the whole world, Jesus came for. So these are, are things, these special insights that Luke is giving us because you might say it's a handicap. He's not a Jewish author, but he shows, because you and I are probably listening to this, 99% of us are Gentiles. This is a gospel that has particular concern for us. Here's the last one, but when we get to Luke chapter 10, we find that Jesus sends out 70 missionaries. Yes, he sent out 12, and we read about the 12 in the other Gospels, but in Luke it talks about he sends out also a larger group, 70. Guess why? In Genesis chapter 10, guess how many nations are listed following the great flood in Noah's day? If you guess 70, you're absolutely right. Luke is trying to show that the mission of the new covenant is for all the world. And so 
this is your take home because just like Luke was courageous, I hope we can be one-tenth as courageous as he was, but we should always be concerned for those on the outside, and you're going to see this in the Gospel of Luke. We should always be concerned and care about uh, friends, neighbors, co-workers, uh, even visitors uh, that come to Mass, and even the outside of our church. For instance, most of you know that I was a Protestant pastor, but you may not have known I was also a mission pastor with a brand new congregation, and the head of our, our, of our church planting department came and visited me one day, and he noticed that I had signs everywhere where the nursery was, where the bathrooms were. I mean, these are kind of necessary things, you know, welcome signs and this and that. I happen to have a sign painter in the congregation, but he complimented me on signs because said, this is so important when somebody new comes and they don't know their way around, signs are very important, particularly the one that says welcome in the time of your, your services. So the degree that you believe Jesus is important is a degree that we should all follow in the footsteps of St. Luke and emphasizing those on the outside. Yes, we take care of ourselves. Yes, we take care of our own families. Yes, we take care of our own congregations, but never forget the outsider. And we're going to hear that a lot in Luke, and it's really important. And you know, there's a tendency for Christians of all kinds, of all backgrounds, to become kind of belly button Christians. I mean, you know, you're self-absorbed with whatever you're into, whatever your particular parish is into, but we want to think about the outsider. All right. Now, to understand what is happening in your life today, to understand what is happening in the world today, to absolutely revolutionize perhaps your whole thinking about Christianity, I'm going to be sharing with you something that takes two minutes that could just transform your understanding of what the Christian faith is. And here it is. Luke is a writer of a two-part single story. There's not two stories. Luke and Acts are one story in two parts, A and B. And if you could just imagine for a moment, although I love the Gospel of John, but just imagine for a moment the Gospel of John just disappeared. And you read Luke, and when you get done, you go right into Acts. That's the way you should think of Luke and Acts. These are two parts of a single story. So, part one of this single story is the Gospel of Luke, and it describes the most astonishing thing that ever happened in human history. And if you read Luke, this is hard to do, but try to put yourself back, you know, just what did Mary think when when Gabriel comes and talks to her, the parents of John the Baptist? I mean, you're a mom and dad. How would you think if an angel showed up to tell you the name of your child and what he's going to do and how great God is going to use him and all that? Well, think about how these people thought. So this is one of the most remarkable things because ultimately it was about God coming into our midst 
as a human, remaining God and bringing forgiveness of sins and salvation and healing from the consequences of sin. Okay? That's part one. Part two of the single story is the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is about the exact same thing. It's not something different. If I were giving you an exam, this would be if you want to just basically know about Luke and Acts, this is the one thing I would want you to know. This is two parts of a single story. And I want to share with you the most important verse in the entire Gospel of Luke. Are you ready? I'm going to surprise you a little bit. The most important verse in the Gospel of Luke isn't in Luke. It's in Acts. In fact, it's the very first verse in Acts chapter 1. And this is how it goes. In the first book, that's Luke's gospel, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. What? I mean, Jesus wrapped it all up, didn't he, in the four gospels? No. And if you think it's all wrapped up in four gospels, and you say that, you flunk your New Testament exam. If you think Christianity is about religious history and that's it, you flunk. You don't understand Christianity 101. It says in the first book, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. But, you know, at the end of Luke, Jesus is crucified, died, buried, rose from the dead and sent it into heaven. And you're saying that's only the beginning? That's only the beginning of what Jesus began to do and teach. Do you, if you think Christianity is just kind of a continuation of a religious history, memory of this great Savior Jesus, you flunk. That's not what Christianity is. The book of Acts is the exact same Jesus now at work in his church as he was with his 12 and 70 disciples in the gospel. Jesus is now not with us, he's in us. That's what baptism does. It joins us with Jesus, and he now wants to work through us. So, what's the life application to our intro to Gospel of Luke? Well, one, we always want to think of the outsider, just like God does. And number two, never consider yourself a religious spectator or a religious historian, so to speak. God wants to use you. He used Luke, who was a doctor. He can use you as a college student. You can use you as a police officer. He can use you as a high school student. He can use any of us. And he wants to do amazing things because in the Gospel of Luke is just what Jesus began to do. The rest he wants to work through you. I'm Steve Wood, and you've been listening to episode 225 of Faith and Family. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org to order copies of Faith and Family broadcasts and to learn more about Catholic family life.